when we say centralized versus decentralized in podcasting, what does that mean to you? When I first approached you with the idea, you said, yes, I, I'm really interested to talk about this. What does that concept mean to you? Mostly it means a tension that I see all the time. And it manifests uh, across creative, across ad sales, across distribution, across awards. The tension is there because I think that there are two basic factions right now in podcasting. One, I'm going to call the more corporate-leaning faction, which wants to have systems in place, which wants to standardize things, which wants to build authority for themselves. And the other faction are the, the more creative-driven enterprises that are smaller, generally speaking, that are more I, I like to always say that they have a higher you know risk tolerance and higher pain threshold so they experiment a lot more they break things more they try things more and they are wanting to be recognized and also to have parity in terms of influence with the more corporate leaning side of podcasting So that was Juleka Lentigua from LWC Studios, which, by the way, is an award-winning digital media studio with a flagship show called 70 Million. It's the first open-source journalism podcast chronicling how locals are tackling jail reform around the country. I could have talked, I'm sure you as well, Stuart, I could have talked to Juleka for hours on end about, uh, you know, centralized versus decentralizing, producing podcasts, promoting podcasts. She has more accolades than I will ever receive in the podcasting space, but I only came across her in, in about the last year or so, primarily from the Twitter spaces that she hosts on Twitter. They're fun, they're fast, they're, they're educational. And I know previous audience guest Marcus DePaula has been on uh, her Twitter spaces before, but just an awesome person to talk to about this topic. And I really enjoyed the, the time we spent breaking down the whole uh, centralized versus decentralized topic. You know, I, I mentioned this in, in part two, I think that all of this has been very instructive to me because I tend to focus more on like the production and creative side of things. And, you know, you and Craig and other folks at Castos are really have your ear to the ground on on this industry and, and the business side. So this was, uh, for me, this has been very fruitful just in terms of expanding my knowledge and learning a little bit more about you know what goes into distributing a podcast. I think one of the biggest lessons I, I got out of this interview was, well, <laughs> just really re-illustrating, uh, maybe coloring in the lines of, of what uh, I had already known about, like small production companies. Like when sometimes when we say small podcast or small creator, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm thinking me. I'm thinking maybe you, right? To a degree with your personal podcast, one person, Maybe you have a, an assistant. <laughs> like in my head, that's like the small creator. But in the industry, there are small creators that are 12 person teams, right? Small production companies. And then there are massive production companies, uh, which might actually even be the same amount of people, but they just have many more zeros tacked onto the end of their budget, which, which makes it different. And they're, you know, oh, and there may be like a subsidiary, subsidiary brand or something of, of a bigger brand, like thinking Wandry, um, you know, that kind of scale, that kind of size. Um, heck, even what we see come out of, you know, Hollywood these days with Marvel uh, and Marvel Studios getting into fiction, podcasting and all this stuff. Wolverine comes to mind. I can't even imagine the size team that puts together that, let alone the budget. So it was great to hear her perspective 
uh, you know, in the space, ranging from the technology to, again, to production and the marketing of a podcast, uh, a really healthy, healthy discussion with Juleka. So, you know, Julika, I think, is pretty firmly in the RSS camp. And I was a little bit surprised to hear her say that just knowing that her shows have done pretty well. And a lot of times these shows that have bigger budgets or bigger followings that they can leverage, a lot of times they opt for the World Garden approach where, you know, they'll, they'll even partner with someone like Wandry who will give them a big budget. And then the way they recoup that investment, of course, is, you know, hey, look, you got to pay a little bit to listen to this. This wasn't easy to make. Sometimes it'll be through dynamic ad insertion or something like that. But she really leaned heavily into the RSS, which I liked. I, I think the more the more time I spend around you guys listening to these conversations, the more I lean towards RSS, understanding that, hey, you know, it's not it's not a one size fits all. She she had an interesting or you and her had an interesting back and forth about downloads and advertising and i and i think this kind of i i think maybe it, it listening back to it i think it answered some of the questions i had you know why she why she's more uh more open source rss so well here's here's you and jalika talking about downloads and advertising i don't know how to perfectly frame this question but for the Clients that come to you, you know, this is sort part of like the centralized versus decentralized tug of war. There's the industry standard of advertising, twenty five dollars per CPM, thousand thousand downloads or whatever the CPM is today, twenty five to thirty dollars, whatever it is. You might have a customer, a client come to you and say, well, you know, we cannot fund a podcast based on the industry standards of an adver advertising. Do you ever help clients, or do clients ever find brands to align with that value? unique content that will pay five times, 10 times industry rate because they want to align with good content and put their brand with good content, but pay more? Or does that not exist? I have not seen that. What's interesting though, is that the advertising brands that come to our original shows know exactly why they're coming to our shows. They want the highly educated, you know, digital first, multilingual, hyphenated American. And they know that that's exactly who we serve. And so in almost 100% of the cases, they have, you know, a little box that we check off very nicely for them, right? And that's an advantage that we have because we've always focused our original programming on that audience. So anyone looking at our portfolio of original shows sees immediately what we're about. Now, the value that I ask, meaning how I price our shows, does not have to do with CPM because... If you haven't heard me say it, the download is worthless. I've been saying it for five years. I used to say it out of naivete, but now I have the proof. And no one's ever going to convince me that the download is worth anything. And so <laughs> we don't base the pricing that we give our clients on the download. We have good download numbers. Of course we do. We base it on two things. And one is our listen-through rate. And all of our original shows beat the average listen-through rate by 25, 30, 40 points in some instances. And so what does that say? It says our listeners are listening longer. They will absolutely hear your mid-roll ad, right? And more importantly, our entire catalog remains active, right? Because we feed the catalog to new listeners as they're coming in through recommendations, through playlists, through social media. So we are actively making sure that 
we connect to the listener and that we play and and I call it upcycling and we upcycle all of the content that is sitting in 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 our inventory. So so that's one of the things that we base it on. It's that that listen through rate. We also base it on this 360 approach that we have, which is that when you come in and advertise with us, we will put you into our newsletter. We will put you on our Instagram, on our Facebook. We will put you everywhere that we have a presence. And that's added value. Most of the time, we don't charge for that. Why? Because we want to make sure that our listener sees that we actually do stand behind this product. This kind of data, this kind of approach is is why I could have talked to Julika for <laughs> for hours on end about this topic. So super smart, obviously, based on her experience, super smart to a- approach at this angle. One, a little bit of air got sucked out of the room when I when I heard that there was that not a lot of brands, at least from her experience, really value wanting to align with great content. Because I think for a small creator, and I think like someone like myself with what I do with WordPress shows, uh, maybe somebody who's got a local podcast. I think that there is, well, I know there is because I exercise it in this fashion that there are brands out there that will pay a little bit more to align with you, the podcaster, you, your brand and your content and pay more and not the 25 per thousand. So I think it exists, but maybe not in her world because she's producing some big stuff. And I think that her approach to pricing is, is almost just like a notch away from that where she says the download is useless because yeah, the download is kind of useless. If you have a thousand people downloading a show, but they don't listen to the show, what's the point? <laughs> the download doesn't get the brand anything. It doesn't get the creator anything because no one's listening to it. So that's her approach to the download. And I 100% agree to that. But then framing it within the listen rate and the demographics and having an active catalog as a salesperson myself, kind of, uh, I look at that as you can go to a brand and say, look, we're not just creating content that just goes away. Like these stories don't just disappear. Our content is so good that once you go through, even if you start at season four, the most latest and greatest, you're so fired up about it that, yeah, you go back and you consume seasons three through one uh, in reverse order. And that's an amazing, you know, selling point for her, but also I get excited about that as a creator to be like, yeah, like create shows that have that ever, what's known in the SEO world as this evergreen effect, right? Where it's just people want to continue to consume it no matter what. And I just experienced this myself going through the 1865 podcast, started episode, the first episode, the most recent episode. And I said, whoa, I don't want to start here. This is so good. I'm going to go all the way back to the first season first episode, which was three, four years ago, and just started consuming the whole, the whole, the whole thing. So just great valid points as, again, she has a back catalog of success and uh, it's just a smart way to approach it and not just go after the download and try to sell it uh, at, the, at the industry average. Here's some more comments she had during that same line of questioning. And in 100% of the time, it's Alicia or me on Latina to Latina, or it's me on the other shows. So quite literally, the two people who lead this enterprise are the people who are voicing every single ad so that the listener understands, okay, wait, I'm, I'm paying attention because this is Alicia telling me, or this is Juleka telling me, this is not some random announcer telling me. And so that also helps. I think the other thing is we work with like three or four advertising agencies and we're super clear with them right at the beginning about the types of advertising and the categories that we will not accept. 
And so what happens when you give someone a list of 15 categories that you will not accept, it raises the bar. So the sense I got from from Jalika is, you know, she really took a lot of the algorithms out of it. And to use a phrase Adam Curry used in part two, HI, the human intelligence. You know, she's able to take the algorithms out of it and and really use that human intelligence to determine the value uh, that she can charge advertisers. And, and again, you know, kind of give it that, that personal touch. And it seems like she's created a system that everyone, I think, gleans some type of value from. You and I talk about branding all the time, uh, about around podcasts and monetization, stuff like that. This approach is part of that, whether you realize it or not. When you have standards, right? when somebody has standards, um, it's, a, it's a new refreshing thing right, for, for advertisers to come into. Because when we talk DAI, dynamic ad insertion, it's always the easiest route. right? It's the easiest route to monetization with air quotes. Uh, but also you have no, there's no controlled experience and whatever. You, you have an exercise show and Doritos is advertising on your show. You have no choice to a degree. What Julake is doing here is reinforcing quality content great creators and also aligning new advertisers with existing advertisers and saying hey look there there's a bar here there's there's you you have to at least reach this in order to advertise on the show and oh by the way we have the excellent listen through rates we have these advertisers uh who advertise and their sort of uh nameplates in in the industry or whatever and it just it's a better experience uh, more handcrafted experience than than you'll get by just going into an advertising marketplace and clicking a button and say, give me money on these 1,000 downloads each. Um, and she's going to get higher paying uh, advertisers, sponsors, and everyone's going to be happier. The listener will be happier to hear better ads, <laughs> you know, host read by her and, and her team, as she mentioned. It, it just, it's just a smart play. And, and I think um, should be adopted more in the industry. Yeah. So anyway, so we're going to kind of start wrapping things up with Julika because we had a really good conversation with her. It was really long. For the sake of time, we, we, we can't just listen to the whole conversation as, as valuable as that might be. But, you know, again, like I think we've tried, I think, to be pretty, pretty clear about the fact that this isn't some binary camp that you fall into, that it's either that it's either centralized or decentralized, that it's either a walled garden or, or RSS, that one can't exist. It's not Harry Potter and Voldemort here. It's not one has to kill the other in order to survive. You can have a little bit of both. And you mentioned we need both. We need Spotify coming up with these great features. So it pushes RSS and podcasting 2.0 to be better. So uh, here's here's Jalika a little bit more on, on that topic. Open RSS, uh, freely distributing anywhere that, that like it's great. You can put it into 100 uh, podcatchers and distribution points around the web. And then also on the same hand is like uh, analytics, uh, tracking that stuff, getting, you know, getting to understand like who the audience is, where they're listening to these points. Now, a lot of people start looking at Spotify. Uh, well, they were going to look at Facebook, but then Facebook shut down <laughs> their podcast efforts. But now they're looking at Spotify, potentially what's going to happen with with YouTube, if they ever do anything with podcasting, you know, discoverability, a lot of people are saying, yeah, let's just give it to Spotify. They have a platform. They have a way to monetize. They have ads. Why not use that as a platform viable in, in your world? Or, you know, you, are you trying to stay away from, you know, just putting all of the eggs in the Spotify basket? 
I don't think it's a zero-sum game. Honestly, we need Spotify and we need everyone else. Um, I think the choice for the creator or the production house is about what is the goal for that particular show, right? So, so we do a ton of client shows and we do, you know, four or five original shows. And the goals for every single one of those shows is different, right? Some of those shows are just to serve a membership, you know, on a client side. Some of those shows are just to target a particular demographic. Some of those shows are actually vehicles for us to generate IP that we can use to do other things, right? And so it really depends. And so if you are a creator and you have a show that really defines who you are, what you're about, but then you come up with a completely different show, Sell it to Spotify, sell it to Amazon, sell it to whomever will buy it for you. But understand that the goal for doing that is going to be very different than the goals for the other show that you're making. And so, no, I think that this is one of those instances where the a la carte menu is ideal. But I think where we get into trouble is when people think that we don't have to make a choice. Mm. I mean, I don't know how yeah. to explain that better, yeah. right? Like, I, I was saying to someone, like, yes, there are a lot of opportunities, but there are also opportunity costs. And mm. so sometimes you have to give up one thing to get the other thing. And I think in podcasting, there's still a lot, there's a lot of new energy. There's a lot of the novelty in podcasting. For but those of us, but for those of us who've been here four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years, we know that there's an opportunity cost. And I think that that's where these debates are happening, where people are just not talking about the fact that, yeah, sometimes you've got to give up one thing to get the other thing. That's just yeah. life. I like what you said, you know, like you, you do you do have to make a choice, I think. You can't just put this on autopilot and hope that an algorithm's gonna help generate a lot of income. And I, I think this is a pretty good middle ground between what Tanner was saying about uh, centralized, like, look, we need a platform for discoverability. It's no one has the time of day to be, you know, putting this on all these different platforms and constantly trying to promote it. This is, I think the point, I think the point Jalika is making here is that, look, that actually is an option depending on, depending on your goals. Uh, and it's the same thing about whether or not you offer some kind of paywall or anything. I, I think it really just depends on the goals. I don't typically recommend when I'm working with small businesses or someone who really has no following, I really never, at least initially, recommend any type of subscription or paywall or anything like that because you just need you just need ears on your work and people aren't really used to paying uh, to, to listen to podcasts right now. But if you're Mark Merritt, you know, we covered what he's doing with Acast. Yeah. Yeah, you got 20 years worth of work and everybody knows who you are and people want to hear it and you can really leverage that. Yeah. So I, I I like that she opened the door there for, you know, it's not one size fits all. There's there's a lot of ways to think about about doing this. We don't need an algorithm. I think what we're trying to do is create tribes around shows. We don't we don't foresee somebody like me back in the 1980s would turn my radio on in the morning and then leave it on the same radio station until 7 o'clock at night. What we decided was that 
the way that we wanted to do it was to create during the day vertical tribes. So one person may never listen to us for the rest of the week, but may listen to our wine show or our book show. So we, we, we're looking to build our tribe around a very specific subject around a very local area. Hi, it's Sam Sethi here. I'm the MD of a podcast first radio station and also one of the co-hosts of Podland News with James Gridland. So I listen to Sam every week on his show that he co-hosts with James Cridland called Podland. They cover uh, the podcast industry news a little bit deeper than what uh, Pod News does on a weekly basis. They bring on guests. I've been a guest uh, recently. Craig's been a guest before from Castos. So he's the co-host of Podland, and then uh, his day job, <laughs> I think he has many jobs, but his primary day job is managing director of River Radio Live, which in my opinion is really, it's a podcast first radio station. I think those are the words that he uses exactly, where it's a local, air quotes, local radio station in the UK. Um, and he and his team helped deliver 40 presenters, 30 shows, they have 3,100 members, which I believe are probably just uh, maybe listeners around uh, around the UK area that they cover, um, and 142,000 plus listeners. And it's podcast first, but then they also distribute uh, on digital radio in the UK, and of course, Amazon, uh, you can tune in there, and of course, podcasts. So everything he does is at this sort of local, real roll-up-your-sleeves get to work kind of thing. It's, it's sort of what I appreciate in the podcasting space. Uh, small addressable audience, but one that can be aligned with value because there's not a lot of people doing what he's doing in that local region of the UK. So you can kind of sort of win that market. It's not a massive market, but it's one that he can certainly own and create amazing shows around and content, primarily news, but he can own it and, and I own that space and deliver it digitally and through podcasts. So just a great conversation talking about that stuff. And oh, by the way, he also does something which you might appreciate, uh, Stuart. I think he and his partners have a have a brewery on a floating boat called the Crafty Tug. <laughs> so uh, he also does that. So really interested to uh, to hear uh, the clips that he has today. Yep. So yeah, here he is just kind of in general. He's obviously like you can as you can imagine, pretty pretty involved, I think, in, in the tech side of podcasts, and as well as like the, the creative side here. I want to have a conversation around a particular episode. Where do I go? Um, I can't do that in Apple, and I can't do that in Spotify, and I can't do that in most apps. So I'm, I'm left in limbo about, hey, this is my tribe, this is my community. That's a really good thing that Stuart just said about uh, 10, 10 minutes into that episode. I really want to talk about it with other people now. And I don't get that. And I think that interactivity, I think, is going to, for me, be one of the biggest things that will increase podcast adoption. Because you can then start to create, uh, I guess, you know, little links. At 10 minutes, you send a little uh, audio soundbite out to Twitter or to Facebook. And then Twitter becomes the comment stream. And again, as you said, with the uh, funding tag, you know, it's just a URL out to the funding wallet, right? Well, the same thing with comments. It's just the URL out to the Twitter stream comment, right? That you've determined is going to be the, the, the comment stream for that episode. So I think there's lots of things. So I think discovery, interactivity, and monetization are the three things I hope we'll see a lot more of in 2022.
So Sam is definitely more interested in the tech side of podcasting 2.0. Uh, he and I could probably geek out for hours about some of the the, the tags and podcasting 2.0 RSS enhancements, um, and he really sees the he sees the value in it because he's a sort of a tech builder. He's always like working on things, and and he likes the idea of being able to innovate RSS, um, get payments, even though it's sort of a head scratcher for him sometimes, like Bitcoin, Satoshi's, Albi, value for value tags, all this stuff connecting up Lightning nodes. Um, but I watch his adoption on on Twitter. I see, I obviously listen to Podland, so I see him uh, experiencing it, struggling with it, but also enjoying it. And it's just a re really great conversation to have that. And I and I think he sees the future as far off as it might be for you know payments and mass adoption. Uh, I think he sees the value in it from from the local side because that's where he can really win and maybe leverage in the future what he's doing with River Radio to provide another stream of revenue, but just more enhanced things like transcripts, uh, live item tags. These are all sort of like the techie things we got into. But I think as somebody who's trying to stand out in a very crowded space, he wants to leverage these these things as early as possible. He wants to be an early adopter because he's just going to be ahead of the pack as the pack finally reaches up to podcasting 2.0 in a year, two years, five years, he'll be ahead of the curve. And I, and I think that that's what I appreciate about his approach to all this stuff. Yeah. So here's him talking about, you know, RSS is able to do more. Like if you look at like a YouTube comment section, right? So like, say you're watching like footage of like a live concert or something like that, right? A lot's going on because you're visually, you're watching, you're listening and all that. And, you know, a lot of times people will go and they'll tag like timestamps. They'll see like, wow, look at like what that guy did at like 1710. And then you can go and click and watch that. And you're like, oh, shit, I didn't, I didn't see that before. Um, and then I'll add another comment here. What you're seeing in a lot of like, say, like uh, cable news, for instance, where they do minute by minute. Uh, ratings, right? So now, now, unfor unfortunately, in this case, you know, news networks can say, "Oh yeah, we actually get the most traffic when we talk about this topic, so we can pull in more advertisers." So let's let's get as much of that in as possible. So I, I almost wonder if, as like a podcaster, how helpful that would be if you've got this you've got this value for value funding where people can click on like a tag and it takes you to your to your wallet and then on the back end of that as as a podcaster or a creator you can go and look all right well people really I get a lot of value when I talk about this topic uh so I I guess like to, to your point is there anything like that that you know of that is is palpable for the average podcaster now you guys are you guys are both pretty technically inclined I don't know if like the average independent podcaster is going to have the inclination or the time to set something like this up that can sustain itself. So two parts to that, Stuart. One, we've seen this before in SoundCloud where you get the wisdom of the crowd around comment fields in SoundCloud. So you'll see a bunching or a histogram type graphic around the bit where most people have made comments or feedback. So that's one thing I think we can do within podcasting because look an hour's podcast is really hard to work out where the golden nugget is within it right um you know as much as we all love our own voices um sadly we don't always come out with a lot of uh, great stuff we might come out with two or three good bits in our podcast um but you know what the listener wants to do is find those and look it's like finding a needle in the haystack so if interactivity from the users who listen to the whole podcast and then can feed back gives a signal to the next listener. That's brilliant, right? So I think 
we can we've seen this before Acast have just announced something called conversational targeting. Advertisers are targeting conversations, not individual users. And so to your point, Stuart, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we're now going to look for the interesting conversation that's going on within the podcast and with user comments as well. And we're now going to target that for brands and advertisers rather than the whole episode or the whole podcast itself so you'll start to see Acast talking about this term conversational targeting so i don't know if that's terrifying or exciting or i don't know maybe a little bit of both this is the tug of war that we're in right now right which platform is going to give us the best technology for you know, listener reach advertising monetization etc but with a watchful eye on is this going to lock me into to this platform? And what kind of data do they need? Now, the tanners of the world, they don't mind it. Heck, a lot of people who complain about privacy are still scrolling through Facebook every single day. So there's also that. Um, and in this case, it it sounds cool that you could, you could uh, target an actual conversation happening on a podcast with your, with your advertisement. But one, you think about, Okay, now, does this mean that my podcast has to be on Acast in order for, for this technology to work? Are they transcribing all these shows? What kind of logic and algorithm is actually, uh, you know, trying to figure out how the tone of this conversation is happening? What's the accuracy of advertisements? And if it's in the middle of a great conversation, part of the issue that I know a lot of folks have with DAI advertising is you're in the moment, it's a great conversation, and bam! This advertisement plays. <laughs> Where did this come from? This disrupted the whole experience. It didn't. It didn't cut or transition well. You know. So there's just so many variables. I think big platforms like this. It's, you know, it's like throwing around. You know, the term artificial intelligence and machine learning, and a lot of this stuff is just vanity to get more investors, right? And, but you know, we don't know how well this is actually going to pan out. It might pan out well for ACAST, but it might just be really just a thing for them. It's just native to ACAST and it doesn't really help the whole podcast industry at large. And you know, it is what it is. It's Spotify, ACAST, they have their things and the rest of us RSS purists <laughs> will will sell host red ads. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that it's, like I said, it's interesting and, it, and it's exciting. But I think, when again, when you start getting into AI and algorithms, at least based on my understanding of it, you really got to hope a lot of things go right, I think. And there's a lot of stuff you really can't control. Like you said, we can't call, we can't call Spotify. I don't know how to get in touch with another human being at Spotify, and I work in I work in audio and podcasting for a living, <laughs> right? Maybe I'm just a bad producer, and I just don't I just don't know where to where to look. But I've tried, and I can't do it. Imagine trying to call Acast and be like, "Hey, you're not selling any of my conversational my you're not selling any of my conversations on my podcast. I'm having great conversations, <laughs> and they're telling you, well, maybe you need a different microphone or better audio clarity. I don't know. Like, how would you even try to uh, troubleshoot <laughs> your, your conversations not being sold? You have to talk. Go talk to the computer that that did the AI algorithm. On yeah, that. I think you just have to hope a lot of things break in your favor. 
I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when I used to do a little bit of work with on, on a YouTube channel for some folks doing some like voice work and, and audio creation and all that. I, I remember the complaint always was, man, YouTube keeps altering, you know, our, our back end monetization tools. It was really good up until, you know, a few years ago. And it's like, man, we, you know, that and that disrupted and really informed how they were making, how they were making their or what they were presenting. And I was like, well, what a bummer. You know, what a bummer, like, because you'd someone at YouTube or the algorithms decided X, Y, and Z, now you've got to adapt to that. And obviously, you always have to adapt a little bit as, as time goes on. But not to sound like a brokered record, the power of RSS and value for value and really just controlling your own destiny and your own work, so to speak, it allows you as the creator to determine the value. I think Adam and Julika have, have been able to pay the rent and then some, I think, through through those models. Everyone we've talked to, I think, has great intentions. You know, Tanner's made an entire, you know, he's got a, a whole, his whole livelihood and career around helping independent creators. So when he says that, you know, he wants something like a Spotify, and I don't think he's saying it's definitely going to be Spotify, but if it is someone, it's probably going to be Spotify. But he, he, he says it with the best of intentions, and he says it because he, he really thinks that you know, independent creators will thrive in that environment. So, you know, here here's Sky Pillsbury. Her newsletter, The Squeeze, it's it's all about helping independent creators. And so here's her take on what an independent creator is, just so maybe we can kind of wrap things up with a good baseline understanding of, of who independent creators are. I mean, to me, an indie creator is someone who is... I mean, quite simply, making it work on their own. They, they might have, they, it might be more than a one-person team. It might be two, three, four people. I mean, it, it could even be more. It's someone who is not tied to a larger organization that is funding their project necessarily. Although that gets tricky too, because you can get a grant, you know, and that grant can subsidize. And I would still consider that person indie. They're being scrappy. They're figuring it out. They're not being, you know, produced and distributed by a Wondery or a Pineapple Street. And I think that there are ways in which those indie creators are being discouraged by the consolidation that's happening. But I also think that there are a lot of opportunities for the, for the people who are willing, who really invest in their show. And in my view, I'll be honest, like you're going to pull up a microphone and not worry about anything else. Like I'm probably not going to listen to your show. And I think Sky really embodies the, the indie creator because she's going through it herself right now. She's relaunching her newsletter, The Squeeze. She was the original uh, writer, editor for uh, the Inside Podcasting uh, newsletter, which is from inside.com. And I'm just watching her and interacting with her on Twitter, seeing her rebuild sort of this brand and and figure out the tech, the monetization, the marketing, the stories to tell. So it's so this was again just another great conversation to have with somebody who is covering the the podcasting space more deeply with longer form uh, you know newsletter the longer form newsletter approach, but also trying to figure it out. Uh, I think she's using Substack right now. Maybe she changes in the future, but that's all on the tech stack. That last bit about where she says, hey, if you're just going to pull up a, a microphone and hit record and then ship it off, I'm probably not going to listen to that type of show. That has to be probably said more. <laughs> you 
know, in, in, in our space. It's okay if you're just getting started, but depending on your goals, if you're trying to do this whole monetization thing, um, whether it's ads or value for value, it's not easy. No one said any of this stuff is, is going to be easy, no matter which, which monetization route you pick here, whether it's centralized or decentralized. Caring about the craft of podcasting is going to take a little bit of work. So Matt, this has been a months-long journey of research and talking to people, of you and I talking. Has, has your mind changed at all? I, you've mentioned during some of our conversations, I can't remember, sometimes I forget what's on the cutting room floor at this point, but at some point during our conversations, you said, well, actually, my, my mind changed as I, as I listened to that. So have you shifted at all from being just 100% open source RSS? Have you, have you been brought more towards the center at all? I mean, I, do I welcome our corporate overlords into the, <laughs> into the space? Uh, you know, look a little bit, I've said this before, maybe at the, the first episode, uh, in the story is we need that. We need that chaos. We need the chaos of look what Spotify is doing behind the, the walled garden. And we need the podcasting 2.0 of the world. Cause I think it's going to as much as you possibly can keep both sides honest, or at least both sides innovating. One innovates on one side, the other one sees it, does it better, faster, more efficiently for the creator or for the big brand. Um, so I think those, th that chaos is valuable to the space. I think about a lot of this, what it's really brought, uh, framed for me is, is the, is the creator, is the, the newcomer podcaster. And, and the weight of this whole industry, which way are we going to go? I don't think there's a clear path when the dust settles here. I think maybe what we've done is just highlighted that, um, you know, hopefully thinking about where you land with your podcast, like where you literally host it and you know, where, where, your, where, your, where your goals might be are very important to evaluate. And I'm not even saying here at Castos, but I'm just saying largely, look, if if you're looking for the easiest path with the easiest way to, you know, monetize a show with clicking a button, maybe it is Anchor, right? And I, and maybe that's the revelation, you know, at the end of this, where, look, if you're just looking for the easiest path, then that's the route you go. Just know that there's more work to be done for, for sure. But if you're looking to, you know, build out a catalog, find, you know, the tools on your own or find the value in, in, in your show and, and go out and roll up your sleeves and sell it directly. Yeah, a true traditional RSS host like Castos is probably the best home base for you because you know it'll never be littered with any kind of corporate algorithm. Is you know, and, and I'm not trying to go that extreme, but what what I think we've done is we've painted a, a picture of of the industry in the year 2022, and maybe when we re revisit in the year 2024, things will be a lot different. That's why I. That's why I prefer Evergreen. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> it shows. You're I don't. Right. I, I, right. I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to look back and be like, man, we really missed the mark. But that's... <laughs> and I don't think anyone will hold us accountable. Good. Um, I think. I think that the, the the conversations that we've had with this uh, with this cast of podcast characters was was really good, really well rounded, and I hope everyone enjoyed um, the different perspectives and the different approach. And, and again, that's that's the other thing is there's many ways to do this. And I don't think anyone can or should maybe just choose one path. You have to experience them all. And the, that's the flexibility that that podcasting, not only podcasting, but audio uh, benefits uh, a creator. 100%.
Hey there, listener, it's Matt. Before you go, I want to offer you, the aspiring podcaster, two special items. Number one, if you haven't started a podcast yet or you want to find a better podcast hosting company, start here at Castos. Use our coupon code AUDIENCE20, that's AUDIENCE20, when you sign up for a new account at castos.com. Start a podcast like the one you just heard or about gluten-free muffins, whatever it is, will help you get your podcast out into the world. Number two, did you know that our Academy is free? Enroll today for free at academy.castos.com. Get access to our courses, videos, and templates all for free. Thanks for listening to the audience podcast today. We hope we're helping you become a better podcaster. All that's left for you to do is share this episode on social media. Bye for now.